Let's have a quick word of prayer. Uh, Father God, good to be here this morning. We just pray that you would teach and we would listen through your spirit and just go before this message in all ways and all things. And once again, Lord, as always, you teach and we listen. Ask for your blessing upon the back as well in your name. Amen. Today is an interesting topic, to say the least. This is part of the beauty of going verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible, is you cover every topic that the Bible has. This is a topic that normally we would probably just not cover because you just went and work it into a topical message. And this is a topic that is very, very divisive. It's amazing. I could get up here and teach, and I could teach on how Jesus is the only way to get to heaven. If you reject Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're going to go to hell. It's pretty straightforward stuff. Probably wouldn't get much feedback from that. Topic like today, there'll be feedback because the topic today is all about government. I know. It's a collective moan. Now... You have to remember there's a difference between government and there's a difference between politics. We're not here to talk about politics. We're here to talk about the institution of government that God ordained in Romans 13. Now, I think it's kind of fascinating that a chapter like this, a lot of people probably would not even realize it's in the Bible. You know, we're going to do the first half of Romans 13. It's all about God's instituting this idea of government. It's kind of a fascinating thing as we go through this. Now, you have to remember because anytime the idea of government comes up, it leads to a lot of passion, sometimes good. Sometimes not so good. And it's sometimes that passion that leads to not so good. You have to remember a couple of things. You have to remember the context of the Bible. They did not originally write the Bible with chapters and verses in there. It was one continuous epistle, one continuous letter. So if you were reading through Romans, when Paul through the Spirit wrote Romans to the church, you would read it like this. Verse 19, Beloved, not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to the wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you'll heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. See, now we stop after verse 12 and say chapter 12 is done. Chapter 13 is a new thought. Two verses, two verses before we talk about government, what does it remind you? Do not hate your enemies. Because what happens when it comes to this institution of government, sometimes we look at the government, we look at people that have a different view on the government as we do, and we look at them as enemies. No, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We have to remember that. We have to remember that if we truly look at them as an enemy, then we're supposed to pray for our enemies. We're supposed to pray for those who persecute us. Pray for those who speak despitefully of us. We're supposed to pray for those people. We're supposed to love those people. They are not our enemy. Because the only thing that matters is what? Whether someone's saved or not saved. Paul summed it up by saying, I preach Christ and Christ crucified alone. That's what it comes down to, is the eternity of heaven and hell. We allow some of this government stuff to overrule other scriptures, where I'm allowed to hate them because look what they're doing to the country. Look what they want to do. Look what the plan is. God says love your enemies. Pray for them. So we're going to read verses 1 through 7, and then we're going to come back and break this down. Verse 1, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. There's no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you'll have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. For if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this you also pay taxes. For there are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render therefore to all their due taxes, to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Those are some tough passages. Those are some tough passages to really stop and digest and really say, what is he trying to say? Now, you don't need to turn there because there's a lot of other different verses I just want to share with you real quick to continue this theme that obviously the Spirit is trying to say here in the New Testament. Just listen to these verses real quick. First one, 
is out of uh, 2 Timothy here. For, excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. It says this, Therefore I exhort first of all that supplications and prayers, intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and reverence. Titus 3, verse 1, Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one. Then out of the book of 1 Peter, chapter 2, starting verse 13, Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme, or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good he may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak of vice, but as bondservants of God. And listen to this, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Now, that's easier said than done. I'll be the first one to say that's easier said than done. We have a tendency, as we just read in these passages, it says that we're supposed to honor the king, we're supposed to speak evil of no one, and we're supposed to pray. We have a tendency sometimes as Christians to be what? Quick to complain about the government, slow to pray. Quick to speak evil of the government, slow to pray for the government. We do. And I think it's interesting that these verses are repeated again and again. That when Paul writes to Timothy, he says, pray for all men. Who's the first person he says to pray for? The king. Right after Paul writes to Titus to say, speak evil of no one. Who's the first person that the right before it, I should say, is who what? The king. And then you got Peter. Peter has some pretty powerful verses there about submitting to the ordinance and honoring the king. Those are some tough verses to really chew on. Now, some people may be sitting here saying, well, easy to say. Look at what we deal with now. Now, if you weren't with us on Wednesday night, you need to hear this. For some of you, you may have been here Wednesday and heard this. The ruler and the leadership during this time of writing, this was not a good person to be around. When Peter wrote 1 Peter, most probably it was uh, Nero that was the emperor of Rome. Now, if you know anything about Nero, he's the one that used to take Christians, stake them up alive, dump them with lighter fluid, and turn them, light them on. He would take Christians and put them in carcasses and throw them to the wild animals. He would routinely crucify Christians. That's who Peter's talking about. Now, back during the time of Jesus, Herod, you've got to remember Herod, who was in leadership when Jesus was born. What did he do? He said, let's round up all the young males and let's kill them all. Let's kill all the young males. No one stood up to him. No one said anything. John the Baptist stood up, and what happened? He spoke truth, and next thing you know, he's beheaded. That's the government that they're dealing with at the time. And I want to make this abundantly clear. We are so blessed. We are meeting right now, openly, freely, talking about Jesus. You guys can leave here and go tell people about Christ. What a blessing it is for us to live where we live. Let's never forget that. But at the same point, too, don't forget this. Where's your citizenship? In heaven. Philippians 3.20 says our citizenship is in heaven. So I'm a heavenly citizen living in a human government. Remember that. A heavenly citizen living in a human government. So sometimes my human government that I live with doesn't line up to my heavenly citizenship. You've got to remember when we look most definitely at the government, you're dealing with a lot of people that probably do not claim to be born-again Christians walking in the truth of the Bible and Jesus. So therefore, I don't really expect them to make laws and have decisions that line up with godly principles. Because there are probably not people that are seeking the Lord in wisdom and guidance. They're not. Because that's the human government that does not line up with my heavenly citizenship in heaven. So when we look at the government that is dealing with, especially during back during Bible times, where Paul is writing these things, Peter's writing these things, keep that in the back of your mind, what was going on with Nero and Herod. Now, with that being said, re-listen to what Peter wrote here. Therefore, submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether the king is supreme Order governors as to those who are sent by him for punishment of evildoers. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. That's an amazing statement to make when you realize what they were living in 
and what they were doing at that time. That's an amazing statement to make. Now, so what do we do with that information then? You know, what do we do when the government is evil, when the government's bad? Well, very thankfully, we live in a nation once again. Every four years, you get to choose a different president. Every two years, you get to reelect the House, and you also get to vote for senators in there. We're, we're blessed to have a freedom to be able to cast a vote for what we feel or who we feel is the person that best represents the likeness that we like and the morals that we like and the standards that we want. But what happens when the government itself isn't working? Well, we just read here in Romans 13, let every soul be subject to the government authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. If you look throughout the Bible, God has a tendency to move and remove governments and institutions that cause a problem. This Herod guy that we talked about that was killing babies, this Herod guy that killed John the Baptist, is no longer in charge. Nero that was taking Christians and lighting them on fire and crucifying them, he's no longer in charge. God has a tendency to remove. Let's look at an example of this. Can you go with me to Acts chapter 12, please? Acts chapter 12. Let's look at a reference here to God taking care of a government authority that was not doing what he wanted him to do. Acts 12, please. Here in Acts 12, we're introduced to Herod. Now, you have to know a little bit here about Herod in the New Testament. The Herod that we talked about back during the time of Jesus that was killing babies is not the Herod that was here in Acts chapter 12. Many decades have passed, and a lot of these guys were named Herod. So this is a different Herod. But what was Herod in Acts chapter 12 doing? Well, verse 1 of Acts 12. Now, about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword, and because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison, delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him to before the people after Passover. Herod's causing problems. He's harassing the church. He just killed James, and now he's got Peter in prison, and most likely Peter's going to be put to death. This guy's a problem. So what does God do? Well, first off, in verses 5 through 19, God miraculously saves Peter from prison. I don't want to jump over that, but we are. But in verse 20, God takes care of Herod, verse 20. Now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyron and Sidon. But they came to him with one accord, having made Blastus, the king's personal aide, their friend. They asked for peace because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. So they go to Herod and they butter him up saying, hey, we got our food from you, so we're going to act like we really like you. Politics. Verse 21. So on a set day, Herod arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne, and gave an oration to them. And the people kept shouting, the voice of a god and not of a man. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God grew and multiplied. God has a way to move and remove people from power. Now, some of you are sitting here, finally, this is the first point of the message that I like. Can we just quit now? And I have a, a, a prayer. I can pray this because this is a biblical thing. For those people that I disagree with politically, boom, I'm praying. Acts 12, 20 through 23 every night. Now, listen, before you get too excited about somebody dying, now, to, to go serious here for a second, I don't think Herod made the cut. I don't think Herod's going to be in heaven with us. So a guy just died and went to hell. Now, he was an evil man that caused problems to the church, and he had to be dealt with. But you know what Acts, excuse me, what Second Peter says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is patient with us, not willing that any should perish. Ezekiel 18 says, the Lord says, I have no joy in the death of the wicked. Turn from your evil ways and repent. God is not rejoicing over Herod's tragic death. Yes, he had to be dealt with. That was a government official that had to be removed because of the problems that it was. But the Lord rejoices not in the death of the wicked. Let's just be honest, brothers and sisters in the Lord here. We rejoice over a lot of evil things sometimes when it comes to government officials. We do. Some of the meanest things, some of the nastiest things I've ever heard come from Christians' mouths when talking about somebody's political preferences that they don't agree with. And it just kind of blows my mind that we become very unchristlike when somebody just doesn't agree with us. We are heavenly citizens living in a human government, and we take no joy in the death of 
the wicked. What happened if Herod would have got saved? Oh, come on. Herod wouldn't have got saved, right? That doesn't happen. People like that don't get saved. Those people have to be dealt with. See, God can remove them from power like he did with Herod, but what happens if they get saved and they become a good guy on the good team? What happens? Turn to Daniel, if you will. Daniel chapter 2. Let's talk about the good guy. Let's talk about the guy that was a Herod then got saved. Because sometimes those people that we see on television, those people we hear on the radio, those people we read about in the paper and the magazines, and our blood just boils when we hear them and when we see them and the opinions they have, and we think, oh my goodness, this person is just constantly getting elected and they're in there. I cannot stand them. But if that person comes to know Jesus, they'll want that. She'll never come to know Jesus. He'll never come to know Jesus. Wow. The Holy Spirit's still in the business of saving souls. Daniel chapter 2. Now, in Daniel chapter 2, we're really introduced to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, bad guy in the Old Testament. See, God moves and removes governments as he needs. Israel, God's child, God's favorite, God's people, they were being bad. They need to be spiritually disciplined. So God raised up the Assyrians to take care of Israel. Assyrians were a horrible group of people. They used to make mountains out of skulls of the people that they killed. Horrible people. Well, the Assyrians were bad, so God had to raise up the Babylonians to take care of the Assyrians. After he took care of the Babylonians with the Medes and Persians, the Greeks took care of the Medes and Persians, the Romans took care of the Greeks. God is constantly moving and removing governments. He's always in the business of doing that. But here's Nebuchadnezzar, a bad guy. This is what happens with Nebuchadnezzar. He has this dream. He has this dream, and it really troubles him, and no one can answer this dream. No one can say what it is. So finally they say, hey, there's this guy by the name of Daniel who's a Jew, a guy that you just went and conquered and brought him back as a slave. This guy can tell you what the dream's about. So they bring Daniel to Nebuchadnezzar, and he says, tell me what this dream's about, and he does it. Let's see what the answer here is. Let's go ahead and start in verse 36 of Daniel chapter 2. Daniel giving the interpretation of the dream to Nebuchadnezzar. This is the dream, verse 36. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, are a king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. Stop there for a second. Let 37 sink in. You, O king, are a king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. Who gave Nebuchadnezzar his kingdom? God. Verse 38. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hand and has made you rule over them all. Who ruled the world at this time? Nebuchadnezzar. How did he rule the world at this time? Because God allowed it to happen. But what's going to happen to Nebuchadnezzar? Verse 39. But after you shall rise another kingdom. See? Nebuchadnezzar, you're in charge. God has given this to you for a while. Someone's going to come take your spot. That's a pretty powerful statement to say before the king. Daniel's not afraid to speak the truth. The truth is, you're in power because God allowed you to be in power, but pretty soon, you're going to be out of power. So, Nebuchadnezzar hears this. He hears this. So how does Nebuchadnezzar respond? Well, chapter 3, he creates this big statue. And he says, hey, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Jews that came out of Israel, you need to bow down and worship my statue. Now, what does God do? Well, he kills Nebuchadnezzar right there in chapter 3, right? No. He saves Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out of the fiery furnace because they wouldn't give in. Nebuchadnezzar is allowed to live. Now, wait a second. In Acts 12, Herod gets killed for not giving praise to God, and he gets eaten by worms. Nebuchadnezzar sets up a statue to himself and tells everybody to bow down, and the only people that don't are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he gets to live? Well, because now we go to Daniel chapter 4. In Daniel chapter 4, we see what happens. See, what happened is Nebuchadnezzar got really prideful. He heard what Daniel said, but instead of hearing it, I think he just said, yeah, that's right. I'm king of kings. I'm the ruler of this world. So what does God do to Nebuchadnezzar? He makes him crazy. Literally makes him crazy. Verse uh, 30 of Daniel 4. 
The king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. God gives, God takes away. And they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. One more time. Look at the end of verse 32. The Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. Verse 33, that very hour the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men, ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. The guy lost it. Out in the wilderness, eating grass, hair growing, fingernails growing, he went crazy. Verse 34, and at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. My understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High who praised and honored him who lives forever. Look at his response. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. See, Nebuchadnezzar realizes it's not my kingdom. And his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth, no one can restrain him or say to him, What have you done? At that same time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles restored to me. I was restored to my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all of whose works are truth, his ways justice, and those who walk in pride he's able to put down. I'm going to go out on a limb, personal opinion. We're going to see this guy in heaven. We're not going to see Herod, but we're going to see this guy. Now, as Christians, not as humans, what would you rather have? That person that you can't stand politically, government, that's an enemy, that you can't, you just, you're, you just get so angry you hear them speak. You want him eaten by worms, or do you want him born again and saved in Jesus? Don't answer that, because I may not want to hear what your answer is. God moves and removes people. Sometimes he removes them by Acts 12. Sometimes he removes them by them coming to the sight of Christ. See, as Christians, when we disagree with that person and we can't stand them politically, Satan wants to fill us with anger. And instead of loving our enemies... We want to hate our enemies. And instead of seeing our enemies be blessed like we talked about last week, we want to see them die. We can't stand them. The Bible says don't do that. Pray for your enemies. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those things that say all types of things against you wrongly for my name's sake. Take a stand for the truth and realize what the Lord does. He can remove them, Acts 12. He can see them saved, Daniel 4. We have to make sure that we don't allow our emotions and our anger and our frustration to make us unchristlike when it comes to dealing with people on the opposite side of the political aisle. We need to see them come and get saved. We're really blessed. We have the right to vote. We have the right to say, I disagree with the policies of this person, so I'm casting my vote against the policies of this person to therefore say, I want this person. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. That's not a personal thing. It's taking a stand for what's right. It's taking a stand that lines up for what the biblical truth is. And that's what we need to do as Christians. But at the same time, too, we also have the right to go out and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ freely. And you realize as you spread the gospel of Jesus Christ freely and more people are taking a stand for Jesus, probably things are going to change in the political spectrum a little bit because people are going to start seeing it from a different perspective. Now, what happens when the government says something and it's just wrong? I mean, it just goes against the Bible. What are we supposed to do like that as Christians? Are we supposed to just to let it go? No. There's numerous examples through the Bible of people that took a stand against the government because of what the government asking them to do is wrong. Let's go back to Exodus. You don't have to turn there. Exodus chapter 2. The Jews are growing so much numerically that Egypt, the Pharaoh says, listen, from here on out, let us know when one of those little Jewish boys are born so that way we can go kill them right away. What do the uh, Jewish midwives do? 
They ignored it. That's the beginning of the pro-life movement right there. They ignored it. And they said, we're not doing that. Ignored the government. Daniel. Daniel, you can pray, but you only can pray to the king and the Medes of the Persians. You can't pray to anybody else. What did Daniel do? Ignored it. What about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego we just talked about? Bowed down to the false deity. Nope, not going to do it. Peter and John in Acts chapter 5. You can talk about other things, but do not talk about Jesus. Peter and John said we need to obey God rather than man. So there are examples. Now here's the thing, though, when you look in the Bible. All those people had to be willing to face the consequences. Daniel was thrown in the lion's den. Now we know that he made it. I don't know if we knew it at that time he was going to make it. He had to face the consequences. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come right out and say, you know what? We're going to be throwing this fire furnace. He goes, we not, may not make it, but we're still not bowing down to you. They didn't know what was going to happen. What about Peter and John? The Bible says in Acts 5, after he made that statement, we need to obey God rather than men, the Bible says they got beat. And they walked out rejoicing that they were willing to suffer for the Lord. They were willing to face the consequences for what came up. The only people not mentioned with consequences, the midwives in Exodus. It just shows that God likes women more than men for some reason. I don't understand it. <laughs> they suffered the consequences for taking a stand. Now, this is what happens for us as Christians. If we take a stand for the Lord... There's going to be consequences. That's just a fact. And we need to understand and realize that with that taking a stand for what's moral and what's right, there will be consequences that come out of that. Who are we to think that just like Daniel suffered, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego suffered, Peter and John suffered, obviously James suffered, John the Baptist suffered with their death. What makes us think that we're not going to suffer for taking a stand? So there is a time and a place, Acts 5, verse 29, if you want to check out the reference, we need to obey God rather than men. Now, Continuing on here in Romans 13, what about the rest of this? Because Paul, through the Spirit, mentions a really dirty word. Verse 6, For because of this you must also pay taxes. For they are God's ministers attending continually this very thing. Render therefore to all their due. Taxes to whom taxes are due. Customs to customs. Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. Taxes. I don't like it that my money goes to support this. I don't think it's fair that when I work hard, my money goes to support these programs that I don't agree with, and this is what has to happen. I don't disagree with what you're saying, but let me throw a few points on that. First off, I heard this in a teaching. I can't verify this, but I heard this in a teaching, and the guy said that at the time of the writing of the Bible, that nearly 75% of all taxes went to supporting Caesar and also Herod individually, specifically. But the taxes was used to really support their lifestyle. And I'm telling you right now that Caesar and Herod did not have a God-ordained lifestyle going on at that time. Those are the taxes that went to support that. Now... When you stop and you think about that, the next thing we think of is, well, I don't like it that they use my money to do this or that. Well, biblically speaking, whose money is it? It's not my money. It's the Lord's money. So, well, I don't think the Lord wants his money to go support that. Let's see what happens. Go to Luke, please. Luke chapter 20. Luke 20. It's amazing how quickly taxes become a part of our life. Because even my oldest son, Elias, is obsessed with money. Just obsessed with it. And I always think of that verse where it says, the love of money is the root of all evil. I think he's dangling on the dangerous side of that. So... He likes to go to the dollar store because one dollar buys anything he wants. He's just fascinated by that. But he learned not too long ago that it's a dollar seven, not a dollar. And that really bothers him because it's supposed to be the dollar store. Where do they get this extra seven cents from? Well, it's taxes, Elias. Well, is there a place where I can go where I don't have to pay taxes? And at seven years old, that's what he's already thinking. So Luke 20, verse 20. So they watched him, meaning Jesus, and sent spies who pretended to be righteous that they might seize on his words in order to deliver him to the power and the authority of the governor. Then they asked him, saying, Teacher, we know that you say and teach rightly and that you do not show personal favoritism, but teach the way of God and truth. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Look how they butter him up in verse 21. 
It's a good thing Jesus knows everything. Look at verse 22. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar? This is a total setup question. If Jesus says, no, don't pay taxes, Rome's going to come and get Jesus for basically being a rebel. If Jesus says, yes, pay taxes, all the support that he has among the Jews are going to get angry because the Jews were living as a nation under Rome that had to pay taxes to Rome. So if Jesus would say, yeah, pay taxes, well, the Jews would be mad at him. Whatever way he answers, he's stuck. Good thing he's God. Verse 23. But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, Why do you test me? Show me a denarius. Whose image and inscription does it have? They answered and said, Caesar's. And he said to them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. See, the Lord is basically saying here with the taxes, You just do it. Once again, I don't like it. I don't know anybody who does. We all have our moments. I'm telling you right now, every six months, when I get my little postcard about yay big, that's my property tax thing. I have one day... I break every rule. I speak evil of the government. I complain about the government. I forget to pray for the government. I have one day where I just it just all goes downhill. And I'll only not only do this to Dawn because I like to pretend I'm mature around you, but I'll go to Dawn and I'll say and they'll break down. But you know what it is? They break down your property. Can you believe that we're paying this for this and this for this and this for this? And then I have my little moment of you know we already bought this property. It's completely paid for. But every year I got to pay this to do this. I have one day of speaking evil, complaining in the whole nine yards, and then I let it go. And then six months later, it happens all again. Now, no one likes it. No one likes it. But when we stop and see the example that Christ set, when we stop and realize where it's not my money to start with, I don't like giving my money. It's not your money. It's not. Now, does that mean I agree with how they tax? Does that mean I agree with how they use my money? Of course not. And once again, every two years, I get to vote for somebody who agrees with how I want that money to be spent. See, I'm a citizen of heaven living in a human government. As a citizen of heaven... That's not how I would want my money spent. But as a person in a human government that's being run probably by unsafe people not seeking the will of God and not really seeking God's decisions in, in life, that's what happens. And I have to keep that perspective of heavenly citizenship, human government. And I have to remember that when these things pop up, I can't allow the anger and frustration and bitterness of the choices that people are making dictate how I react to that because I am a Christian, a follower of Christ, and I love my enemies. I pray for those who persecute me. I pray for those who despitefully use me, and I bless and not curse. And I pray that we can have Daniel 4 moments, them coming to know Christ, not Acts 12 moments. And we have to remember as Christians when we stop and look at this, the big picture, the big picture of what's going on. Now the tax rate, and they figured this up, and I'm going to trust it because I've heard this from a couple different sources from people I trust. They actually said back during the Old Testament, the tax rate for the Jews was 24% when you figure up everything, all the temple taxes and everything like that. Now before we think, oh my goodness, God, what are you doing? God doesn't need our money. The Bible says he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. So when I look at my check that I write for taxes and thinking, oh Lord, what am I going to do? I just gave this money away, my money. The Lord says it's not yours. Your dad's got a pretty big inheritance waiting for you. Your dad owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He goes, I'll take care of it. See, this is what, and you may disagree with me, and I've been trying to keep my personal opinion out of these messages, just trying to stay. I'm just going to share my opinion on this. When it comes to the economic matters of a lot of things, I trust when the scripture says that as a child of God, as a servant of him, he's just going to meet my needs and take care of me. I know economically that's the big issue, and I think before you think I'm speaking out of ignorance, I understand it. My degree is in finance. I get it. I understand how the Fed works. I understand all that. But I also trust that the Lord says, if I serve him, he will meet my needs and take care of me. I trust him on that. So, now that doesn't mean I'm ignorant of things, but I trust him on that. Now, a couple of things here to pull out of also Romans 13. Did you catch this word that is repeated again and again and again? Verse 4. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. Now, we all know that verse. 
If you do evil, be afraid. You're driving 65 and a 55. You pass a cop. What happens? You're afraid. You're afraid very quickly. You start looking in the rearview mirror. You hear the smoke and the brake pads going so hard because you're trying to get under 55 as quick as you possibly can because you know you're doing something wrong. Well, what happens if you don't agree with it? Well, what does it say also right here? Verse 5, Therefore you must be subject, not only because of wrath, I don't want to go to jail, but also for conscience sake. Meaning, if I know there's no cops around, I still drive 55. See, but there's this word that keeps being repeated. Verse 4, minister. Verse 6, for because of this you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers. I tend to continue this very thing. Look at the middle of verse 4. He is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. That word minister means to serve. They're serving. Well, I don't want the government serving me. Well, I'm thankful that if you dial 911, you get EMS, firemen come out, and you have policemen. See, sometimes we're thankful for that serving. Sometimes we're thankful when the road's pretty smooth. We don't think about anything until there's a big pothole, and we say, okay, well, who's serving who now? But that word means to serve. So the next time you do something wrong and you get pulled over for that ticket, your minister gave you a ticket because that's their job is to serve the greater good. Now, you may disagree with this, and this is fine, but the purpose of that speed limit and that greater good is to say, you know what, for the safety of everybody else on the road, we need to drive at this speed limit, and it's my job as a minister, as I'm saying from the example of the government, it's my job as a minister to serve the greater good of the people to tell you to not speed, because when you speed, you're endangering yourself and others. Now, you may disagree with that. You may say, I think there should be no speed limit. Every two years, you get to vote for somebody that carries that doctrine. Every four years, you can find that presidential candidate that carries that doctrine. That's the beauty of the freedom that we have in this nation that we live in. Let's never forget that freedom and that beauty and that blessing of what it is. When we read these passages, like verse 7, render therefore to all their due taxes to whom taxes, to do customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor, oh, it can get us worked up. That's what the enemy wants. He wants you to spend all your time, energy, and emotion and resources fighting the enemy, not him. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Just because they disagree with you politically does not make them your enemy. If you can't let go of the fact that they're your enemy, then you pray for them, you bless them, you do not curse, and you do what you can to help them. Verse 20, back to chapter 12. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you reap coals of fire on his head. Do not go down to the level that the enemy wants you to do. Remember what matters more than anything in this world is whether that coworker and friend and neighbor is saved or not saved. That is what matters. We are heavenly citizens living under a human government, and we are so blessed that we can leave this building here freely and go tell people about Jesus Christ. Paul said, I preach Christ and Christ crucified and him alone. That is an amazing blessing that we have. That is an amazing freedom that we have, and we can meet here openly and freely, and let's never take that for granted. This is a tough chapter. I'd be the first one to say that. And this is a chapter that we all struggle with and fall sometimes in negative areas with this. God help us to see the big picture of what's going on and to remember it's all about souls being saved. That's what matters. Marv, if you want to come forward here for the final song, just some quick reminders. Don't forget, uh, this coming Friday is the...